So here we are, 2021. A new year is upon us. How exciting, right? We've got good things in store, I am sure, because God always has good things in store for us. He's always got something. In the midst of the worst of the worst of the worst, there's always something that he's got going on. And so we can be sure of that. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll dive into a little bit of time in the Word. Amen? So Heavenly Father, we bless you, and we thank you. We thank you that 2020 has come to a close. We thank you in advance for the, all the great things that will come to pass in 2021. We pray, Lord, that you would be with Pastor Mike today and Res Church, that you would bless them, the Holy Spirit, that you would fall on that house. Lord God, that you would move in their midst. We pray for blessing upon blessing for them. And we thank you and we praise you today. Amen. All right, so here we are. New year, 2021. You know, growing up, um, I, always, I always liked New Year's. I thought New Year's were kind of fun. Although when I was a kid, right, I didn't really base my New Year on the, the January to December calendar, right? My New Year was August to July, that's how my calendar went because that's what affected my life. It was what school grade, you know, what school year, what grade year was I going into in school the next year? It was, it was how much longer until the end of the marking period. It was how much longer till Thanksgiving vacation or Christmas vacation. And then growing up in northern Vermont, it was winter vacation and spring vacation, something to get us through the cold winters of Vermont. Um, and then, of course, always going on and on and on to when can we finally have summer break? And it can be my time again. But New Year would always come about in September, right? It was this brand new school year starting. And although I was not one that was overly excited about going back to school per se, I did enjoy getting the new school supplies, right? The crayons that had never been used before, the, the, the colored pencils with the, with the machine sharpened tips on them that were just perfect, the trapper keeper and the notebooks with no chicken scratch scrawling yet inside of it. I looked forward to all of that. I liked the fact that I felt like it's day one of a new school year and there's nothing that I've done wrong yet. I haven't missed any questions. I haven't haven't had a day where I didn't do my homework. Um, I didn't have to worry about anything, and, and anything was possible because it was a new year. And as I've gotten older, the school year thing's kind of gone away, but I do feel that way with New Year's oftentimes. I, it's a new opportunity. It's a new year. I was, kid you not, the other day sitting at my desk and looking at my planner for the year, and it's got a few appointments already written in it, but the vast majority of it is pristine. There's no markings. There's no chicken scratches. There's no coffee stains. It just looks perfect and ready to do something with the year. And that's how I feel about it. Psalm 90, um, verse 12, I believe, says, Teach me, O Lord, to number my days, that I can gain a heart of wisdom. And being a new year, and being a new season for City Church, and being a new even, even uh, preaching series that we're doing, it's an opportunity for us to take a moment, to take a, the time to, to stop and tag up. You know in baseball, they hit the ball and it goes in the air, and you're on base, you can't just start running right away, you got to wait until they catch it. But if they catch it, then you're allowed to tag the base and run, right? That's what New Year's is. It's a chance for us to tag up. 
to say, okay, these are the things of God. These are the things going on in this world. This is an opportunity for me to tag up with what's really important and to run my race to that next base. And so the, the psalmist says, teach me to base. I can gain a heart of wisdom. And that's my prayer for us today, is that we would gain a heart of wisdom, that we would be able to look at today and know what we need to do today, because it's today. And there are certain things that have to happen today. And there are things that can happen tomorrow. And it's good that we don't put off what we should do today until tomorrow. It's just as important that we don't try to take what should be done tomorrow and pull it into today. Because today is enough troubles all on its own. Let's not live in tomorrow, right? Let's not worry about tomorrow. Let's take care of what we need to today. And let's not worry too much about what happened yesterday. Because yesterday's gone. There's nothing we can do about yesterday. We can't get it back. So let's leave it back there and do what we need to do today so we can move forward with a heart of wisdom. So this morning, we're going to start off in the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. And it's part of the Christmas story, but it's part of the Christmas story that happens after Jesus is born. After the wise men have come and gone, there's this little passage. You may remember that there was a time that Herod was looking to kill all the little babies the boy babies, right, throughout Israel because he had heard about this coming king. And that's what this passage is referring to. It says, Now when they, the the wise men, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, out of Egypt, I will call my son. And the passage is rather interesting in a way because Joseph has this dream where the angel says to him, hey, you need to get up and you need to run because Herod wants to kill the baby Jesus. I mean, this was... Jesus, this was the savior of the world to come. This was, this was the plan that God enacted after Adam and Eve fell. He enacted this grand battle plan to save the soul of mankind. And then he sends an angel and says to Joseph, um, Herod, this human king with no more power than the rest of us really have power, he wants to kill Jesus, the son of God. It's like, wait a minute. How does that work together at all? That doesn't make any sense. For thousands of years, you've been establishing a way for mankind to be saved, and it's all at risk because Herod's got a problem with Jesus, and he wants to kill him? That can't be. The, 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 the fate of humanity can't rest on that. That just doesn't make sense at all. How could that possibly be? And what's with Egypt? Why go to Egypt? That doesn't, that doesn't make sense either. I mean, think of all the places he could have gone. 
I mean, Herod's just king in Israel. I mean, he could have gone to Rome. He could have gone to Greece. He could have gone to Assyria. He could have gone to Babylon. He could have gone to Ethiopia. I mean, he could have come to North America for that matter. Why in the world would Jesus have to go to Egypt to get away from Herod, right? And why in the world then trust the Savior of the world to Joseph and Mary? Why not just have an angel come in and scoop Jesus up and just bring him there until it's time? But it's significant. And it has to do with numbering our days. It has to do with understanding our past. And that's what today's portion of this series that we're going through is going to be all about, is dealing with things in the past. There are some amazing parallels here. And remember always when you're reading the scripture that he doesn't arbitrarily just decide to use certain words. So he decided Egypt for a reason. It wasn't just arbitrary. And it wasn't just to make Hosea look really smart hundreds of years before when he said, out of Egypt I will call my son. Right? It wasn't just to, to fulfill that prophecy that God sent him there. Because if that was the case, then why in the world did God tell Isaiah to say in the first place, out of Egypt I'll call my son? No, there, there are parallels there that are important for us to see. And so one of them we already talked about, Herod was going to kill all the male babies two years old and younger. If you're familiar with your scripture, you may think back to another king who at one point decided he was going to kill all the male babies in the land. And there was Pharaoh who said to his people, kill all of the male babies of the Hebrews. Don't let any of them grow up. Don't let any of the men grow up to, to be men who might rise up against me. Same thinking. There was this parallel going on. And so Joseph and Mary and Jesus, they go back to Egypt. And they spend some time there. And then they leave. And when they leave, Jesus comes back and grows up. Think back again to when the children of Israel left Egypt the first time. They were being called out by God out of Egypt, and they ran, and Pharaoh sent his army after them. And there was the great Red Sea, and they passed through it. And as they passed through it, they got to the other side and looked back, and there was Pharaoh's army. And the waters of the Red Sea came crashing down upon the red uh, upon his army and destroyed it and they were rescued right you remember that jesus grows up he comes back and it's time it's time for his ministry to start so what does he do he goes to john the baptist and is baptized and he's covered with the waters of baptism just as pharaoh's army was covered in the waters of baptism back in the red sea the children of israel got to the other side pharaoh's army was defeated They have the promised land before them. They send the spies out. The spies come back. The spies say, we can't do this, right? And God is disappointed and says, you of little faith, you will now have to wander until this generation dies off, until there's a generation that has faith to go and possess this promised land. Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism and the Holy Spirit falls upon him. And God the Father says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. The children of Israel, right, go out and wander in the desert for 40 years. And at one point they're dying of thirst. And Moses says, Lord, the people need water. And God says, speak to this rock and water will come forth. So Moses speaks to the rock and then he hits it with his staff. And water comes out and feeds the people. But God says to Moses, 
I didn't tell you to hit the rock. And because of this disobedience, you will not see the promised land. Jesus is led out into the wilderness. And there, the prince of the power of the air, there the devil confronts him and says, if you're hungry, there are stones here. Speak to these stones and make them bread. And Jesus says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the Father's mouth. And he rebukes Satan. Satan brings him up onto a high pinnacle and says, throw yourself off. And Jesus says, no, it is written, you shall not, you shall not test the Lord your God. And he brings him up onto the highest mountain and says, you can have all of, the, all of the world if you'll just bow down to me. And Jesus says, no, no, it's written, you shall worship no one but the Lord your God. You see, there are these parallels that are going on where Jesus is walking out the same things that the Israelites did wrong in their journey out of the promised land. He's redoing them. What it is for us when we realize this is it's a great do-over. In golf, it's a mulligan. He's, God is taking a mulligan. He's saying, that didn't count. We're doing this over again. And Jesus, you're going to do it this time. This time, you're going to walk out the path that my children were supposed to walk out back in the past. And you're going to do it perfectly. You're going to do it for them. He went back to Egypt so that he could redeem Israel's past. So he could go back and say, I am Jesus, I am the Messiah. I am God with us, Emmanuel. And I am going to do everything that needed to be done in order to establish a covenant where you by faith could live forever. I'm going to walk out this walk that Israel had the opportunity to do and they failed. I'm going to do it. And so God calls him out of Egypt as a do-over. What does that mean for us? Here in 2021, means simply this. No matter our circumstances, no matter our life history, no matter what has happened before, be it ancient history for you or be it 10 minutes before church today, God is able to even go back and to redeem our past in order to use it for his glory for the future and to see other people come into his kingdom. The main passage of scripture for today comes from Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And actually, I'm going to step off to the side here with my notes. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. That is one long run-on sentence. I, I can think back and I can see my high, or my high school English teachers just cringing at this long run-on sentence. But I encourage you, when you read passages like this, to break it down into chunks. And when you see things like this, where it says, and you, put in your name. That's what I do. And you, Kevin. And Kevin. You, he made alive. He made you alive. You once were dead in your trespasses and sins, it says. He made you alive. The thing about death is, as far as we're concerned here on earth, most of the time, it's a very final situation. When we're dead in something, it's it. It's over. 
We're done with it. We can't go back and do a redo. We don't get a mulligan. There is nothing more to go forward in. It's over. You think of death. You think of something that's very stiff, that's lifeless, that's hopeless. I think of the fact that death smells. It's disgusting. I could never be in the medical field because if I ever had to be around a dead body, I would lose it because I just can't be around it. I don't have the stomach for it. I tried actually once. I really did. I, I, I joined an EMT squad and they make you watch videos to be in the EMT squad. And I got green and sick to my stomach from the video on the little screen on the TV on the other side of the room. And the guy leading the class was like, Kevin, thank you so much. We really appreciate your heart. But um, if you can't handle pictures on the TV, you're not going to be able to handle the smells of real life. And I'm like, wait, smell? Oh, I didn't even think of that. You're right. I'm done. I'm out of here. Um, I just not built for it. And we're all, we're all guilty of those sins and those trespasses. And we all would find ourselves to be dead in those sins and those trespasses, which we all walked in. There's no condemnation here at all. The Apostle Paul's not saying, hey, you know what? You're a dirty, rotten scoundrel, and you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel, and you all walk in sins and all that. He's like, listen, we all do. He says, we all do. Which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Then he says, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were all by nature children of wrath just as the others were. It was the children of Israel leaving Egypt, trying to walk out this new covenant that God had made with them, trying to walk out these Ten Commandments, trying to be a people who could truly say that you are my God and I will be your people, and failing time after time after time after time. But that's us. Their history is our history. We can't be too hard on them because that's me. That's me in my life. That's me in every, every area of my life. There have been places where I have failed. And yet, we have an opportunity. Because the very next passage in this section says this, starting at verse 4. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, starting at 4. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. But God. Those two words together are two of the most beautiful words in Scripture. But God. Because what it says to me is it doesn't matter that I'm a liar. But God. It doesn't matter that I'm a cheater, but God. It doesn't matter that I'm a drug addict, but God. It doesn't matter that I'm a wretched, horrible human being, but God. It doesn't matter that I tried 42,000 times and failed every single one of them, but God. It doesn't matter what my past was. It doesn't matter what I've done wrong. It doesn't matter what things I have failed at in my life, but God. But God fixes all of them. But God covers 
all of them. But God makes a way where there was no way. But God separates the waters, right, and destroys the enemy. But God. He says, but God, who's rich in mercy, that's our Jesus. Maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching online and you don't know this Jesus that we talk about. Well, let me tell you a little bit about this Jesus. He's rich in mercy. He is wealthy in mercy. He has a lot of mercy. He has more mercy than you could ever need. He has more mercy than you could ever desire. He has more mercy than you could ever hope to have. He's got that much mercy. There's nothing that I can do that would take me too far from his mercy. There's nothing that I could say that his mercy couldn't cover me. There's nothing that I could think that would cause him such consternation that he wouldn't have a little bit more mercy for me because he's rich in mercy. His mercy is abundant. His mercy never ends. His mercy goes on and on and on. Why? Because but God, but God who's rich in mercy, has that mercy for me, has that mercy for you, has that mercy for our city here in Albany. But God, you don't know what I did. You don't know what my past was. You don't know about, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. You know, that one of the cool things about God is that he loves us no matter what. He loves us even beforehand. And there's a reason why it's called the Father's love. And when you're a young man, I don't know about you ladies, but when you're a young man, you don't understand this at all. You don't understand what a father's love is when you're a young man. I think because, at least for young men, we just figure everybody's going to do things for us anyway. And so we just, why wouldn't you? I'm Kevin. Of course you're going to do that for me. You're going to do my laundry and cook my dinner and make sure the dishes are done and make sure there's cereal in the cabinet. I'm Kevin. Of course you're going to. But at least men, as we get older, and we have kids, we begin to realize just how amazing they are. And that love grows and that love grows and that love grows. And it gets to a point where it just doesn't matter. It truly, truly doesn't matter. We will love them no matter what. We will love them and we will stand and protect them and fight for them no matter what. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we said to God that we want nothing to do with you, even when we turned our backs on him and went, knowing that we were doing wrong, we chose to do it anyway. Yet he still loved us. Yet he's still rich in mercy. Yet his grace cannot be frustrated. Yet he continues to bless and to believe and hope for us. But God, who's rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you've been saved. And he raised us up together, and he made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I think it's remarkable that 
as I said before, that Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Egypt. It wasn't just an angel scooping him up and getting him there. He wasn't just translated from one to the other. But Mary and Joseph took him there. Jesus didn't go to Egypt alone. He didn't go to Egypt alone. He didn't go back to face the past alone. For those of you who are here at the armory today, and you've decided in your hearts that you want to be with the people of God today, you want to worship today, amen. Amen to that. No condemnation to those who are watching online. I don't mean it that way. Amen that you're here. There are times when I come to church and I come because I just want to be there. I want to be there for me. I want to be there to worship. I want to be there so I can draw close to God. I want, it's all about Kevin that day. I want to be there. Sometimes though, sometimes we go through seasons where that's not the reason. See, sometimes we're like Jesus, where we've got to go and we've got to face our past. We've got to get there. But we need somebody else to help get us to that place. We need someone else to walk with us. We need someone else to care for us. We need someone else to feed us. We need someone else to protect us. You see, sometimes we come to church and we're that little baby. Sometimes we come to church and we're Joseph. Sometimes we come to church and we're Mary. And we come to church not because I need a blessing. Come to church not because I need someone to feed me. Not because I need someone to protect me. Not because I need someone to walk beside me. Not because I need to have someone help me take one more step forward towards Jesus. No, sometimes I come to church because I'm Joseph. Sometimes I come to church because I'm Mary. Because somebody else needs me to be Mary or Joseph for them. Because somebody needs me to bring them forward another step in their journey to getting closer to God, to their journey to seeing their past be reconciled. Sometimes we're Mary and Joseph because people don't go to Egypt alone. Jesus didn't go to Egypt alone. He had someone come and help him get him there. So do we. So today, if you're here for you, that's awesome. I'm so glad that you're here today for you. I hope that you're being blessed today. I hope that you drew close to God today. I hope you felt the Holy Spirit today. I hope God answers your prayers. I hope God gives you energy and strength to face your yesterdays so that you can take victory in your tomorrows. I hope and pray for that for you. That season isn't forever. And my bigger hope and prayer is that when you attain those victories, you can be married or you can be Joseph for the person sitting in the row next to you, for the person sitting in the row behind you, for the person sitting in the row in front of you, that you can look and see who's not here today, that maybe they're stumbling on their path and they need a Mary or a Joseph to come beside them and walk them to their Egypt. Maybe they're perfectly fine and they're just being safe, staying away because of COVID. Reach out to them anyway. Jesus didn't go to Egypt alone. Neither should we. In the book of, of Romans, chapter 8, there's a verse. You've probably heard it butchered a million times. It says, all things work together for good. It's so wrong. The verse says, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. All things aren't good. Understand that, church. All things aren't good. But God can take all things and work them together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. 
for those who love Jesus and are willing to let those things in their lives be used for his kingdom. Roughly, this, this, this literally, I had this verse in my notes. I didn't know I was going to go here today until this morning. 12 years ago, worst day of my life, Noah's twin brother, Matt, passed away. It was horrible. It was the worst day of my life. Bar none, nothing has ever come close to it. But all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. This morning, my wife told me, I don't know, it was 5, 5.30 in the morning, something like that. She says to me, I've got terrible news. Good friends of ours, their son passed away in an automobile accident last night. Horrible, terrible, the worst gut-wrenching pain you can have as a father. I know what my friends are going through right now. And it's not that the death of my son was a good thing, but God can take all things, even the death of my son, and let it be used for his glory, for his purposes, that I know that if my friends Victor and Alicia need my wife and I, we know what they're going through. And when we say our hearts are breaking, they'll say, yeah, I know yours are because you know this pain. And when we say you'll get through this, they'll say, I know we will because you got through this. We get to be Mary and Joseph. 12 years ago, we were not Mary and Joseph. 12 years ago, we had to walk that path and it was a harder path. We needed other people to give us support. Today, we get to be Mary and Joseph because we're not in this alone. None of us can walk this path out alone. But God will take all things and work them together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And it leads me to the last verse in that Romans 8 chapter. And then we're going to close this all down. Because the Apostle Paul says this. He says, I'm convinced that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. I'll say it again. He said, I'm convinced that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that revealed in us, the sons and daughters of God, in us, the glory that will be revealed in you. Your present sufferings that you're going through aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in you. It's not worthy to be mentioned in the same breath. The things you're going through, the trials, the tribulations, the struggles, Victor and Alicia saying goodbye to their beloved son. That struggle, that difficulty is not even worth being compared to the glory that will be revealed in them someday. That's a major suffering and it's still not worthy. That's our tomorrow. That's who we are in God. That's what this sermon series that we're going to be going through for the next seven weeks is all about. Moving from death to life. Moving from the present sufferings to that eternal glory in God. That's our opportunity, City Church, if we'll take it. That's our opportunity to see revealed in us the glory of heaven here on earth. It's awesome. It's awesome because our Jesus is awesome. Because our Jesus really is the answer 
because our Jesus really is the reason for the season we just celebrated. Amen? Amen. As our music ministry, there they are. No, they are. They're coming. We're going to go into another song as they get ready. Oh, see, I knew I heard somebody over here. There we go. I just want to invite you. Let's stand up and let's worship. Let's press into the things of God. Let's believe in the things of God. If you're not going to believe for yourself, believe for your neighbor. In fact, while we're singing, maybe look around and pick someone in your mind's eye and pray for that person. Believe for them that God will move. Believe that God will bless them in this season. Believe that the glory of God will be revealed in them this season. Believe that the glory of God will come and that that person's life will be changed forevermore. Because our present sufferings, they're not even worthy to be compared to that glory that will be revealed in us. When we become the sons, the daughters we're called to be. Amen?